Welcome back to the Law Unscripted, where we talk about everything about the law and the legal system that you never knew, never understood, and no one ever told you. I'm Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. And we are with Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. Till you do. All right, everybody. Topic for this week um, is a huge one that really needs like multiple parts, but sure. because this is for the everyday user, we're giving it a general category. Yes. We are calling it evidence. So in general, what you can and can't do or say in a courtroom, mm-hmm. um, what you like really what can't come into evidence right. and why. Um, we get so many questions all the time from my clients of, well, I don't understand. Why can't I say that? Right. What? What? But it happened. But she said that to me. Exactly. <laughs> so, hearsay. <laughs> yeah, there's the hearsay rule. Um, so we're going to hit, I think the basics we're going to hit today are hearsay, mm-hmm. um, some of like the prior crimes, wrongs, and acts right. portion um, the Sixth Amendment, the Constitution, um, and maybe Ma- another thing maybe or some two. Character evidence, maybe some character evidence. And my little puppy just hopped off. Um, we always have, or almost always have, our puppies. Yes. And Charlie was all snuggled in here, um, my little golden cocker spaniel, until we started talking, and then he decided he was had had enough. So he might hop back up. Willow, my other cocker spaniel, is on my left. But I don't think she's actually in the picture frame. But Charlie will probably hop back up. You're going to hear him shaking with his little collar. Um, And we'll see what antics they get into today. All right. So Chelsea is going to try to guide today's conversation, I think. You guys Um, are at my whim. Enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) It might be more entertaining than usual because (laughs) she's. She's the best. Um, She'll ask and we'll try to explain it. You're actually in an advanced evidence class this semester, right? Yes, I am. So I took evidence this summer after my first year. So it's been almost two years, um, which is a long time. I think people try to wait to take evidence later so it's closer to the bar. But I I knew I wanted to take upper level evidence (laughs) classes. So I tried to get it out of the way as soon as possible. But yes, I'm in evidentiary foundations and objections. Nice. Um, so basically what we do is go rule by rule and do Amazing. hypotheticals. We are in the courtroom in my law school. So you get up and you're either plaintiff or de- nice. defense. Yeah. And then you go through trying to get certain evidence in um, and making arguments for that. So I'm enjoying it a lot, but it brings up a lot of questions. And I think questions I had, especially my first year, because if you don't know, you can't bring everything in. You cannot yeah. admit a lot of things into evidence, actually. The most surprising thing for me was that you think, okay, a crime, the police report is evidence, obviously. No, it is not, actually. It is not <laughs> it is evidence. evidence, but it, it's evidence that can't come in. Admissible evidence. Yeah. Right. That was yeah. shocking to me that I just, because you think you're like, okay, well, then how do you, what do you do? So, Virginia, what do you do? So, that is, that is one of the most common yeah. issues that that I have at Tarani Law mm-hmm. because I do accidents, yes. right? I'm a personal injury attorney. I do traffic accidents. That's mm-hmm. my main bread and butter. And every time we look at the police report, because mm-hmm. almost all of my accidents have, police, have reports. police reports. And my clients are like, well, it says in the yeah. police report that the other driver's at fault. Yep. So 
isn't that cut and dry. They're at Super fault. Simple. They should. Yeah, they should. <laughs> so I'm trying to Charlie convince him to come and join. So oh, I did. Reclimped over here. He's just staring at everybody oh, um, and has messed oh, up perfect. his hair. Okay. Um, oh. Anyway, he's kind of being cute. <laughs> he's Watch being the very YouTube portion sweet. if you want to see how cute he is. But you can at least listen and believe us. Um, so anyway, so the police yes. report, it actually makes a difference for insurance companies. Okay. okay. So when, when I first get a case, I have to get the police report mm-hmm. and look at it to see who did the police officer say was at fault. Right. Um, and generally, insurance companies rely on that. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, well, your client um, was at fault, so we're not going to pay out anything. And if that's what the insurance company says, it's very hard to come back from that. Right. It doesn't completely mean that the case is done, but it's very hard to get any money from an insurance company who looks at the police report. Yeah. So my clients are hearing, well, they're paying attention to the police report. Right. The insurance company is admitting or denying my claim because of the police report. Yeah, making sort of its determination based on that. Right. So we just bring it into court, right? And just show the judge, look. Here it is. Problem solved. But it's not. So trying to explain how an insurance company Mm -hmm. wants the report, reviews the report, looks at it, but then the judge can't. It is confusing. Like, well, what? I'm sorry. Yeah. But in court, there's hearsay. Yes. It's actually, that is the term for it. Um, and it covers more than you think, too. A lot. It, hearsay was broader than I think my understanding of Yeah, it. I actually, so every state, every is state different. has yes. a hearsay rule. Mm-hmm. They may have a different number for it, but it is always a hearsay rule. Yes. Um, and I'm going to read the basics and oh, you know, see if you understand this, yes. um, because this is what we're working with as attorneys. Right. Any um, out-of-court statement for, made the, for the truth, truth of, of the matter. matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the federal rules is it's 801C hearsay is a statement other than one made by the declarant. Mm-hmm. While testifying at the trial or hearing, offered an evidence to prove the truth of the matter asserted. Now, wasn't that clear? Oh, super, super easy. Right? Everybody understands, right? <laughs> yeah, that's clear why there were, the police report wouldn't be admitted, right? That that was easy. <laughs> right, right, right. We're done. Yeah, okay, that course. was hearsay. <laughs> it, it, yep. But yeah, what what does this mean? So the biggest thing is it's a statement to prove the truth of the matter asserted. Right. But even that is very complicated. Well, what is the truth of the matter asserted? What is a statement? Right. Um, A statement, according to this 801, is an oral or written assertion Mm -hmm. or a nonverbal conduct of person if it's intended by the person as an assertion. Now, the best example of that portion is flipping someone off. (laughs) Right? Did you hear this one? No, I've not oh, heard, never this. heard that. I've never heard this. Oh, that's so funny. I thought it was like the classic that everybody knows. That no, one. I have never heard this. So please tell me because I am intrigued. <laughs> so a nonverbal assertion for the truth of the matter, like I flip you off. I right. clearly intend to tell you something. There's a takeaway there. There is a takeaway there. So in my traffic accidents, like if someone drives by and flips someone off. It's, well, there's clearly an intent to... Communicate something. Communicate something with the other party that wasn't said or yelled or talked about. So your client can't come in and say, they flipped me off. Yeah, they can. They can actually do it. Um, but 
they can't. Right, right. Because they cannot, they cannot admit a statement for the truth of the matter. So yes, my client can't admit the police report and he can't say that the other guy flipped him off. Right. Will you please fix his ear? His other side of his ear is all messed up. Oh, it's the other one. It's the right one. Oh, he just needs a. Oh, he needs. We need a brush. Yeah, this is very entertaining. Um, it's not about hearsay, but it's entertaining. (laughs) His floppy ears. No problem. (laughs) As a cocker spaniel, his ears—they're my favorite part because it's a classic cocker spaniel. Is the long curly ears, um, but the brushing of them is really quite obnoxious. But he is very soft. He is very soft. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah. thank you. So okay, so I can't come into into court and say, um, they they flipped me off. I can't oh, say, well, they told me they were texting and driving. Can't do any of that. Well, yes, yeah, so here okay, is. So okay. we're getting in already. There are issues because you possibly can. It's the ex- there's tons of them, but the mm-hmm. exceptions. To hearsay. They're, my favorite personally is a very dramatic one. It's like dying declaration oh, or yes. excited utterance. You know, I'm on my deathbed and I just, you know, say something. It would be hearsay, but you might possibly be able to get um, get it into court based on, you know, the circumstances of the Right. Okay. So let's pull a couple of those. Um, the, yes. So overall, a statement is not allowed in court if it's out of court. Right. Okay. If you made it out of court. Um, I can't come in and say, well, Chelsea told me, well, it doesn't matter because Chelsea now has to come in and testify for herself. And it gets complicated because that sounds simple. You're like, I'm not going to say what someone else said, but throughout the the course of a case, you're talking about, well, then we had a conversation and I was speaking with Virginia and she told me this. So I ran upstairs to go get the water. I can't say that. Right. Even though it, it is sort of in a lot of cases, nothing that's right you know determinative but you can't say it yeah you can say that you had a conversation based on what our conversation was i then went and did a thing but you can't say the actual statement because someone else said it you can say what you did based on a statement you can say that you had a conversation with the other person but what the court thinks of is well that other person should come and be a witness too yeah because their testimony for their intent, mm-hmm. their knowledge, their observation should be separate than yours. Yes. So overall, we want you to see what you know, what you saw. Personal knowledge, exactly. But somebody else has got to come talk about their own. And that goes back to the Sixth Amendment. Yes. The Confrontation Clause. Mm-hmm. So we're headed back to the Constitution, which I think is what hearsay is basically based around. Yeah. Um, so I brought a copy of that, too. I don't have my actual little Constitution. I couldn't I find it. I too. I do have a little mini Constitution. I know. Of all of the things I couldn't find, I couldn't find my little Constitution this morning. Um, so I printed the, the verbiage. But the Sixth Amendment, all right, so yes. embedded in the Bill of Rights, the Sixth Amendment says, in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial. Mm-hmm. By an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which the district shall have previously been ascertained by law and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation. Here's the specific part Mm -hmm. for us. To be confronted with the witnesses against him, 
to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. So what we do is we have from this amendment, we have the hearsay rule is the defendant in a criminal case has the right to be confronted with the witnesses against him. Yes. And to have compulsory process for obtaining those witness witnesses. Yeah. That's a subpoena. Okay. Yep. That's what that means is he has the right to subpoena witnesses and cross examine them. Essentially. Yes. He has the right to question the witnesses yes. who were making claims against him. And he has the right to bring them into court yes. through and a subpoena. Now this is for criminal. This is not for civil cases. That's correct. So the hearsay rule is you can't have, you can't admit someone else's statement right. into court, which goes directly to this is right. if I say, well, Chelsea told me X, Y, and Z, well, the defendant can't cross examine Chelsea. Right. He can only cross examine me, and that's not fair. So, me saying Chelsea's statements of, well, Chelsea said he did it. Right. Okay. Well, that's not what I said. That's right. not what I saw. That's not what I observed. I didn't see Chelsea, you know, witnessing it. Right. I didn't see the defendant committing a murder. Right. Like, if you're a police officer and I come mm-hmm. to you and say, I witnessed this murder. It was that guy. So you as the police officer arrest him. I have to come as a complaint. I mean, if there's a murder, not the complaining witness, but as a witness right? and say what I saw, because then defense might want to ask me, well, Chelsea, were you wearing your glasses? Absolutely. Which and is Chelsea's crucial. not, which she really needs to be. Which means I cannot even see the camera. It's like, a I fair can't question. It, which and is a fair question. And that's sort of the principle the right. behind it is that without the opportunity to sort of have a back and forth, you can't just take, I mean, take my word for it, essentially. Right. And that's the whole issue of the police report. Right. So in, in a trial, that would be what the police report says. Well, I, Officer Smith, talked to Chelsea. Right. And she told me she saw John Doe, Jane Doe, whoever, yeah. commit the crime. Right. Write so it up in a little report. He writes it in his report as I talked to Chelsea Rogers. She said that John Doe committed the crime. She said she saw him do the murder at this location in this way. And here was the murder weapon. That's why the police report can't come in. Because it's not anything the police officer actually witnessed. He didn't witness the murder. Right. Chelsea did. So he compiles it to put together what information he gained. But that's then given to the other side Mm -hmm. who says, well, I probably need to call Chelsea to the stand to tell us what she saw. Because the police officer can't testify to it. So that is the basic, I think, best way to describe it. Is you have to have you. You have to have the person who is the witness, which sounds Mm -hmm. so simple, but it really does get super complicated in in real cases. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have never asked you this, but I will. Yeah, go for it. Because I think what people are familiar with is the idea of someone not wanting to testify. Yeah. um, Which creates all kinds of issues. You think, you know, when like a big drug player is arrested mm-hmm. there might be a lot of witnesses who oh, yeah. don't want to testify um you have sexual assault cases where victims may not want to testify yeah which creates a problem if it's a criminal case because you know they don't have that confrontation issue right or they don't have the ability to confront their accuser essentially right so the the defendant this goes both ways so the defendant by the constitution 
yes. has the right to bring those people in. Right. And to see, really? Did you? And the prosecution is at, at an odds because their witnesses in those types of cases can be persuaded to lie. Right. Or to not talk or to change their story for fear of physical harm. Yeah. Um, for fear of embarrassment. There mm-hmm. are all of these reasons why a witness wouldn't want to testify. In drug cases, it is very true that if you're you're a narc, yeah, right? So you don't want to be a narc. So maybe you gave the information on a confidential basis right. to a police officer and you're hoping that that police officer can take his report and can go say, I heard from a confidential informant that, you know, Buddy was selling drugs out of his house right. on, you know, Green Street. But that's not the way it works. That confidential informant yeah. has to come forward in a trial yes. to say, I saw the defendant selling drugs at this address in Green Street. Yeah. But we presume and they presume that, well, the police will just do it. They'll right. do it. I don't have to show up. If I just give him the information, then he takes it, puts it yeah. in a report, and he testifies. Yeah. But it's not because the defendant is like, oh, yeah, bring bring him in. Go ahead. Go subpoena that guy. Bring right. him into court and see what he says. Right. That's why, like, they're banking on non-testimony. Like El Chapo's wife. She didn't see anything. She didn't hear anything. I don't know. My, my husband's a wealthy businessman. That's about it. I mean, that was essentially the, the summary of her testimony. I mean, yeah. I don't think I would testify against El Chapo either, personally. And that's legitimate. It's fear. And but I think a lot that was of- my question. Yeah, sorry. Going back was I know you did... Um, when you were doing criminal work, yeah. did a lot of work sort of with guns, drugs, gangs. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have that as an issue? Oh, absolutely. We would go to trial and even as the prosecution, I would subpoena them. Right. Um, because you ask your victims to come in and testify, but sometimes they don't want to. Right. A lot of times they don't want to. Right. So I would subpoena them and then hope they showed. Wow. And then if they showed, I would put them on the stand and hope they told the truth or said the same thing that they did to the police. Right. Um, but it was a very real thing that they either wouldn't show at all, right. even with a subpoena, um, which is a court order, right? Yeah. It's ordering the person to show up. You are not supposed to have an option. You're legally with required a to be there. But they don't appear. And then if they do appear... Um, they will either refuse to testify or they'll say they don't know. I don't know anything. I, you know, I said that as, you know, for whatever reason I said it before. Sort of recant their initial statement. Mm -hmm. So then your question is, well, do I then prosecute them for making a false police report? Right. Do I just let it go? What do you do with the person who shows up and changes their story? Right. How, but if you prosecute them for a false police report, you then have to prove that it wasn't true. Right. But I don't want that not to be true. I think the first report they made was the truth. So you're in this quandary of, well, do I do that? And it just can kill the case. It kills the case. Then maybe I'm killing my client, you know, the, the victim, maybe I'm putting a witness at risk. We had one, um, I was on a murder case and we had a witness who was an inmate at the time who was testifying about stuff before he was an inmate and we brought him in to testify. He was a full witness, um, but he was scared. He was absolutely scared. It was, um, we believed it was a gang related case. We couldn't prove the motive of gang relation, but he was genuinely scared of if I testify that I saw this guy pull the trigger 
then I am concerned for my safety. And it was yeah. a huge thing to try to get him to testify. We did get him to testify. And then, of course, we had a hung jury. Okay, of course. Oh so we had one holdout who would not find guilt um, wow. after 11 did. And we're like, okay, well, how are we going to convince this guy to testify again? Yeah. You know, if we retry the case, we, we don't want to let the guy off on a murder charge. We yeah. have to retry the case. But how are we going to get this guy to testify a second time? And now his yeah. testimony is out in public. And it was a wow. real issue because a couple months later, he got out. Oh, God. And he was murdered. <sighs> and I cannot tell you the thoughts and the emotions that I went through and finding out that information mm -hmm. of, okay, he had to testify because the person who witnessed stuff right. under the confrontation clause and the hearsay rule, he had to testify. Yeah. I could not do it without him. Right. Um, he was the one who witnessed the defendant shoot the gun. Yeah. But, I put him at risk. Mm -hmm. He was scared. Yeah. He had a family. He was afraid that he would be dead and his family wouldn't have him anymore. And now he's dead. Right. And his family doesn't have him anymore. Maybe it was gang related. You know, yeah. maybe we're right. Yeah. I couldn't prove to a jury. I couldn't even mention the word gang because it didn't have proof of it. Right. We believed that was the underlying thing, but I couldn't have him testify yeah. that this was gang related because he didn't know it either. Yeah. I couldn't have my police officer say, well, this was gang related because it couldn't prove it. I couldn't say which gang it was. Yep. I couldn't say what he was doing for the gang, how this was yeah. a part of the gang that my victim was even in the gang. Right. So none of that information gets in, but it's all this underlying stuff yeah. in the case. And the investigation went on. And I know this is a huge tangent, no, no, no. but hopefully it's somewhat on point is they did, of course, a different investigation into yeah. his death, the witness's death, and they believed it was unrelated. Um, wow. They believed it was actually related to a drug deal gone bad, um, which was sad and tragic in itself. Yeah. It was some comfort to me that but it wasn't it, related to the case. It wasn't because he testified. Right. But it shows that these are real issues. It's not, you know, a hypothetical or a theory, theoretical issue. Right. It is a real issue. It also is a real issue in domestic violence cases. That's what I was thinking of the whole time is that you have the abusive partner saying they're never going to testify against me. Mm -hmm. And because people are not just generally doing crimes out in the open is yeah. that you have, especially in a domestic violence, you have the abuser and the person yeah. being abused. And if you don't have them saying this person is abusing me, it is very hard to prove. It is. It's usually, it, they're usually not witnessed. Yeah. Um, so a girlfriend comes in and is mm -hmm. beaten up. She goes to the, you know, is there some domestic violence call? The police come out right. and she says, my boyfriend did this. And she's taken to the hospital. Her statement is taken. It's written in a police report. Yep. And the police officer gets to trial and he cannot say what she said. Nope. He can say, I saw this bruise, but he can't say how it got there because he didn't see it. Yep. Right. And so if she changed, if she recants she her initial recants, statement and says, fell down the stairs, 
there's no evidence to sort of contradict that. And like you said, then the case is dead in the water. It is. Um, but the fear is, well, if I go through with this, right. You know, maybe he's threatened me more in the meantime, before we come to court, um, after I go to court, if I say this, I'll be in more danger. And there are so many cases where there is testimony in court and that person is subsequently harmed again. Right. Um, and sometimes much worse. I did another murder case. (laughs) case, This is, it's horrible. I did another murder case that the, the preliminary portion of it was a domestic violence case and a protective order was taken out Mm -hmm. and the wife testified, um, and obtained the protective order. And I think if I recall correctly, there was actually, a an abuse charge too. Wow. And I think he was convicted. Um, and the wife had testified in court and the, here's a hearsay. A I was going to say, is it an in court or out of court statement? She testified in court, but the daughter didn't. A deposition or a statement, oh. no, an affidavit. An affidavit of the daughter was admitted. Okay, so look at that. It that never is a very. Been. I was going to say, I didn't think you could. Deposition, yes. Affidavit, no. Well, deposition sometimes, but not all the time. Right. Um, you're supposed to use a deposition only to like cross-examine a witness yeah. did they see something different did they lie like to impeach them later. right but you can't just admit a deposition well, no, no, no. Um, unless the person is dead and you no longer can call them as a witness right so like in your original case sorry and then we'll go back yeah. was so if you had retried the case after that witness had passed away his testimony at the original trial would still be able to come into the new trial it would in that particular case, and it was retried, um, and it was mistried again. Oh my god! Um, but what they did is because it was a statement that had been made previously in court, yes, under oath, and with the ability to cross-examine him, right? The testimony was admitted, and but he's not there. It's not the same. It's right? not the same. So the jur- jury's hearing a statement. Right. And I think what happened, I can't recall because I was gone at that point. I didn't retry yeah. it. Um, but I think they actually put someone on the stand to wow. read it back and forth. So as if they were the witness. A but little like just, mock trial moment. <laughs> almost like it. Yeah, almost like it. But it's not the same effect, right? No. As if the real person is there saying, I saw this. Right. You put someone who doesn't look like him, doesn't talk like him. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, you know, video recorded. Right. So it's just different. And that's why you want you want to have the original person right. stand on the stand. You want this hearsay rule. You know, that's it. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like we've kind of gone through a lot of the, the problems with it. But I mm-hmm. think overall it's a good rule, right? Like you don't yeah. want to play this telephone game of like, mm-hmm. well, I told my wife this and my wife told my daughter this. And that four yeah. people down the line were getting someone to come into court and say that. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, and I think that's the way it is with a lot of these evidence rules is that there's, there's really good stuff from it and there's yeah. really frustrating parts of it. And it's kind of just that balancing. Um, I think there the are same reasons thing, for it. Yeah. Right. There are reasons for it. Same thing with sort of physical evidence of like, there's physical evidence that can be excluded. It can be. Which I think is very interesting because, mm-hmm. and I think might be frustrating I do listen to true crime podcasts all the time. <laughs> She's a huge um, fan. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> but I swear every case from like the late 60s 
entire 70s into the 80s because proper procedure was not followed in these searches, like the murder weapon is not coming into the trial. They found it. They had it in their hands, but because they didn't do what they needed to do, the jury never sees it, right? Yeah. Like improper search warrants. Exactly. If they didn't get a search warrant and went in without a warrant. That's what um, I swear. Everything from the 70s, they just 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 did what they wanted. Right? They just go in and... So many people, it it is frustrating where you're like, well, but that guy did it. Yeah. Like there's, he did it. So they found it. It should come in for the greater good. This guy should be locked up. But for the people who it's, they didn't do it. The rules are there to protect the innocent. Um, Sometimes they protect the guilty. Sometimes that happens, but it's there Overall, to protect the innocent. Absolutely. And it's the, gosh, it's what the biblical proverb, better for a hundred men to go, you know. hundred guilty men to go free. Than one innocent man to be, I don't, God, I wish I remembered the 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 actual adage, but it it is. It's, you know, better for a hundred guilty men to go free than for one to be confined without, um, one Mm. innocent man to be confined. Um, and that's that's the principle behind it right. is you don't want these innocent people in jail or, yeah. you know, executed. You'd right. rather a couple guilty go on because you need to see if that one to protect the right, right, the rights of the accused. And I think that mm-hmm. I think our, our rules of evidence are pretty good. Look at me agreeing with the law more than usual. It's amazing. <laughs> it, they are. They are good rules. They are frustrating. Um, and. Sometimes they just seem arbitrary. Yes. And especially for your regular run of the mill case. Right. Where it's like, really, it can't come in. Right. Seriously. It's like, no, it it really can't. But there are other ways to get some of this information. It doesn't have to be that way. That's why there are lawyers who are creative. Creative lawyering. And you come in, this art of law is, okay, well, this can't come in. The police report can't come in. But... I can subpoena the witness who was in the report. Mm -hmm. You can testify about what you saw. Your evidence is absolutely permissible. Your testimony. Mm -hmm. And there is that one great exception to the hearsay rule of it's a party opponent. Actually, it's not quite an exception. It's a non-hearsay admission. It's that. Okay. We learned it as kind of part of the exceptions. I know like it's technically not. We call them all exceptions. Yes. For this purpose, it's an exception. Which this one Probably was the most confusing to me the first time I learned. Really? It, it sounds confusing. You're like party opponent. Like, what does oh, that mean? Interesting. So I think the first time I saw it was like, what is this talking about? Like, what is this telling me? So the basic rule, and maybe I printed this one out too. I know I have the hearsay. Um, She's pretending like she needs these print printouts, <laughs> but she has like the entire rule, like federal rules of evidence memorized. It, not completely. I will tell a uh, cute little story. Um, of how yes. I knew them. Is this an appropriate story? Yeah, do it. Tell it. Okay. I love it. Um, so I I did mock trial. I did mock trial for years. For seven years, I did mock trial. Um, I did it all four years of undergrad and all three years of law school. Wow. Um, yeah, seven years. So I felt like when I got, <laughs> and this was so pompous of me, honestly, <laughs> because I got out of law school and I started practicing and it was like, I have seven years of experience. (laughs) 
I got this. I'm not a new attorney. But honestly, I mean, it in may a be on paper. But like in a courtroom. I did have a lot more experience for handling a courtroom for what was expected in a courtroom. The rest yes. of it, not so much. But in a courtroom, how to handle a witness, what yeah. to ask a witness, what to say in an opening or closing, what objections there were. I did have a better basis. I do think mock trial, at least for sort of courtroom skills, it, I mean, does really count as years of experience because so much I feel like of what happens in a courtroom is just understanding these antiquated like traditions and like the proper way to introduce evidence. Like it's a very just mechanical once you learn it, right? but it takes a lot to learn because it's super obnoxious. Same thing with like impeaching or like refreshing a recollection. But if you have that sort of those basics locked down for so long, the rest of it, it is did easier. make it easier. I will say yeah. my first trial um, as an attorney did not feel like a first trial. I remember yeah. it vividly, but I it didn't feel like a first trial. It felt like just the first trial as an attorney. Right. Um, so, and I, I know a lot of other mock trial students feel the same right. way. And it's, it's a blessing. Honestly, I loved Absolutely. the programs that we had access to them. Um, I had great instructors and coaches. Um, my dad was one. That. I, I think he was my best. I mean, I, yeah. I all the basics were from him. Um, but the way I know the evidence rules, um, even mostly by numbers, like, so just so you know, the party opponent and the page I printed off isn't, does not have this exception on here. You so know, the, you know, the four D two. <laughs> 804D2 is the um, party opponent rule. See, I know the vibes of the evidence rules. I'm like, if you, get, you if you ask me something, can this be admitted? Can this not be admitted? I can give you the answer and I can tell yeah. you, I can tell you why. <laughs> I can tell you why or why not. But if you asked me what any of the rule numbers were, I would look at you like you'd lost your mind. Yeah. It's just the vibes, right? <laughs> but you know what? The vibes are still good as long as you know that it's. An admission by a party opponent, um, and we will get to what that actually yes. is. Stay tuned. It is coming. Um, but it's 804D2. Yes. And the reason I know these numbers is when I started <laughs> in mock trial, I I didn't want to be an attorney. I didn't. I did it so I could be a witness because the witnesses got to be actors and got to, I faked a British accent oh and I was an expert and I talked about, um, my, the first case was an airplane accident and I talked about fuel gauges and I had props and anyway, I thought I'm just in it for the acting. I love right? it. Um, so the next year I, I did an attorney role and I was like, okay, I'll try this. And my dad was a coach and he knew all the other coaches all of them. Um, so of course he talked with the other coaches and they talked with him. And of course, one of the most famous coaches in our area came in to judge one of my rounds. Okay. And I knew it. It's like, okay, pressure is on huge pressure. He's come in. He's going to tell my dad how I did. It's not just about scoring now. It's not just about, is my team winning? It's about what is he going to tell my dad? And so I did well in the round, but sure enough, he goes and talks to my dad and he says, yeah, she was really good, but she didn't know her rules of evidence. And my dad comes and tells me, and it was like 10 o'clock at night when he tells me. And the next day is another round. And you're just crushed. You're like, oh, I was devastated. I was so embarrassed. So I stayed up almost that entire night and 
ever since I have known the rules of evidence. She just memorized it. That's I like, just so impressive. did it. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, <laughs> there's so many, like there truly are. And they all are like, okay, you have rule one subpart C three, five. Like it is absurd. And I know most of them. You there really are a few I've forgotten um, the numbers on. I can still quote you almost all of what they say or the vibes of what they say. <laughs> um, but there are still some that I know every even subpart of the rules. Yeah, you said for party opponent. I, I know. Um, so there are some you just never forget. But I, I, I did it. And from there on out... I said, I will never be embarrassed by this again. Right. I will never not know. Now, when I got to the States and realized, oh, they don't have the same federal rules of evidence. Right. They have the same term. Like in Virginia, when yeah. I started practicing in Virginia, now this is wild. Um, they did not have rules of evidence. What? There were <laughs> what did you just say? I know. And you're taking Virginia procedure. Right. Now they do. Now they have what been. What do you mean? They didn't have. What do you mean? <laughs> this is so fun. I'm entertained. <laughs> Me too. I'm. Yeah. What do you mean they don't have rules of evidence? Well, they do now. But what were they doing before? It was common law. Oh my God. It yeah. Was, Virginia is weird. Virginia is law. weird. Um, so we would, I would get up and I would say hearsay, right. I would object to hearsay because they still had right. hearsay as one of the reasons you couldn't get in evidence, oh, but wow. I couldn't say 801. Like there was no 801. It was just the objection to hearsay. It that was is, the that role is like the for wild West. It was, it was, I did not understand it. I was like, what? I can't quote the numbers. Like that made it, that seemed really impressive. And yeah. now I can't quote a number. Um, <laughs> like no. my whole expertise idea of the jury will yeah. look at me as something really good. I can't quote the numbers anymore. Maybe I'm dumb, but like truly, and we talk about this with technology all the time, but truly yeah. the thought of being in a courtroom and like needing to object, but not like having a rule that you're objecting with. Cause I think it's so ingrained, at least in my last oh, school, yeah. the way they teach us is like, there's an objection and you're going to say what it is and the rule in that mm-hmm. same sentence, like it is, yeah. I cannot even really like formulate how just... you would make an objection and be like, because uh, you can't. Like, I... <laughs> you just can't admit that, right? <laughs> Your Honor. This is bad for my case, actually. <laughs> you know, I, there have been a lot of attorneys who do that. Bless it, and I have. I saw it in mock trial, and I would laugh. It's like it's just really bad for my case. It shouldn't come in, and everyone would laugh. But as a new attorney, when I've been in the courtroom, new attorneys have done it too. Real new attorneys. Oh, I believe it. Most of them haven't been in mock trial, but even the ones who have, it's like you get desperate. You just you, you're you saying objection it, as you're jumping up, and you're like, I'm going to think of the objection by the it, time I'm standing. This should not get in. I don't want it in. There's got to be a reason. It hurts my case. Yeah, it's not relevant, <laughs> Your Honor. And you know you've done poorly if the judge looks at you, a real judge in a real courtroom, and says, do you have another objection? <laughs> I think I would cry immediately. And you know that for people who have not been in a courtroom, if a judge asks your attorney this, they are asking, they are saying, I appreciate you objecting, and there is an objection. Yes. This is objectionable. Yes. And you can possibly keep it out of this case. Right. But you need to know the real reason why. Right. 
And if they cannot come up with the other reason, the it judge is not going to fill them in. No, the judge won't do it for you because part of that is strategy, right? And I, mm-hmm. So I did one of the, like a trial skills class last summer. Mm-hmm. And part of it was sometimes there was tons of objectionable things yeah. happening, but it worked in my favor to not object. Absolutely. Um, you and, don't have, just yes. because you can keep something out through an objection, yes. that's what it is. As you say, objection, your honor, this shouldn't come in because of whatever rule. Right. But just because there's a rule to keep it out doesn't mean you have to. Absolutely. And the judge is not supposed to arbitrarily apply the rules of evidence just right. because they're there. That's the sort of the art of law. Of what mm-hmm. you're saying is that. Everything from admitting evidence to what objections you make about testimony is trial strategy. Yeah. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Um, So this is another one. We talked about this earlier. I had a rape case. Yes. Um, And I think it is the only rape case I ever tried on the defense. Yeah. Um, I tried many on prosecution, but it's the only one I ever tried on defense. And I took it to trial because I believed in it. Right. I believed the defendant. Um, and it was basic facts. Or it was a, a threesome type issue where, um, forgive me for those of you who are listening and didn't plan for this. Um, yes. But I think basics are, you know, they there was a breakup involved and right. they were trying, you know, everybody got drunk and they got high that night Everybody ended up sleeping with each other. And in the end, the girl says, I don't know what happened. I must have been raped. Right. Um, so I felt very badly for her. But right. I believe my client when he said we it was consensual. Right. We all three were there. She yeah. seemed to be with it. It wasn't like she was, you know, completely drunk and wasn't. Right. Like um, with it. Yeah. She seemed to be at the time. Right. Um, so I believed it was consensual. I believed that we were all having fun. The other guy admits that he, you know, he was a whole part of this too. Um, so there was a whole bit that I could talk about this trial for evidence for days. Fascinating. It was one of the best cases I have ever had in my life with so many trial moments that were just, you can't replicate that. Right. So maybe I'll talk about it more, but for today's purpose, um, the best part of the evidence of the, this art of trial, just because you can keep it out, doesn't yes. mean you should. They, the prosecution was saying, okay, it's this guy. He slept with her right. and he raped her. Right. We did not object to the idea that he slept with her. Like, okay. Right. Yeah. That was not the defense you were putting on. It wasn't. We could object and we could force the prosecution to prove it, to prove everything every iota and detail of you know bring the dna and go through it because the burden of proof right like so some people do that that is defense strategy of like prove everything we like we admit nothing you go prove it and some people could have done that and maybe that strategy would have worked too right but for that case for me the strategy was let's admit it yeah not fight let's choose our battles yep the battle I am choosing to fight is consent. Yes. I am not choosing to fight. Did he have sex with her? I'm choosing to fight. Right. Was it consensual? So we ended up saying from the very beginning, even in voir dire. Yeah. I mean, this was even during jury selection. That's what voir dire is. During jury selection into opening statements. I it was like, okay. Yeah. He slept with her. And it 
wasn't smart. Right. <laughs> you know, right. This, this was stupid and you can call it immoral, but it wasn't a crime. Right. And that was our focus. So in the end, we didn't object to anything that came in with regard to his DNA. We're like, yeah, it's his right. DNA. Cause that wasn't the issue you were really contesting. Yeah. I know it is. I'm telling you it is. Right. And so the funniest part was the prosecutor got up and called the DNA expert as a witness. Right. Which seems silly to me. In that case, it was. I mean, truly, at, the, at that point, are you mm-hmm. really debating? And I didn't. And I stood up. Right. I stood up and I said, Your Honor, I'm not objecting to this. Right. I'm not. I don't want to cross-examine. We admit that it's his right. DNA. It's his and I said it in front of the jury too, right? So this yeah. is building credibility with the jury. I'm admitting it's his. Yep. I know it's his. He said it's his. Yeah. We're green. So we don't need this expert yeah. to testify because it's already stipulated. But- and bless it, this woman, this prosecutor, she was determined that she believed she needed this person to testify. And you could see the watch your judge, people. <laughs> Watch and read the judge because the judge looked at her and he said, well, it's your case. And if that's what you want to do, it's kind of like the, you know, do you have another objection? They're telling you something like, come on. And he said, if that's what you want to do, I will let you do it. And sure enough, the DNA expert comes on for 45 minutes. Oh, my God. And you could see the jury getting upset. Glaze over. They were completely glazed over. They kept stealing glances at me. Yeah. Some of them were rolling their eyes. One of them was half asleep. Um, So it backfired. Right. Because they gave us credit for trying to save them from all this extra time. Right. They were like, okay, well, they're agreeing. Yeah. That it's his, I'm going to, I, why do I need to listen to this testimony? Cause I know it's his, all she's testified. And I didn't ask any questions. Like, what is there to ask? They said, okay, you know, we're, we're done with the testimony. Answer any questions that the defense attorney had. And I said, I don't have any. Right. Which, and the jury was so relieved. Oh, I believe it. But we won. Right. Now there are multiple reasons I think that we won. First of all, is I think he was innocent. Yeah. Um, but as far as strategy and evidence and everything that happened in the trial, I think that hurt the prosecution. So just because I could object, just because I could force that witness to testify, I could invoke the confrontation clause and I could make her do it. I didn't want to. No. Yeah. There's no reason for that. There wasn't. So pick and choose what you have just because you can. Sometimes you really should. Yes. Yes. yeah, those are some basics. And again, some of it's vague, but maybe a little bit better understanding yeah. of. I think the only other thing that I think is mm. so fun. Yes. Is that if there's a piece of evidence, there is a weighing test, right? Yes. That the judge has to decide if it's pr- more probative than it is prejudicial. What does that mean? Okay. Lawyers, the, what are the symbols always associated with lawyers? Right. The justice scales. The scales of justice. Y'all think of this because this is exactly yeah. what this rule goes to. Exactly. It's, That's how they taught it to us in my evidence class. It is. You are weighing everything, right? You're weighing things for fairness. You're yeah. weighing things for justice. Um, you don't want the scale to tip one way or the other so that right. it's unfair. And it's for the federal rules. It's rule four or three. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> In my 
my head, I was really trying to like remember. I knew it was Article Four because in class on Wednesday we were doing Article Four, <laughs> and so I knew it was one of them. But I was thinking four one. It was four three. You got me. Four one is basic relevance. Four three okay. is is it more prejudicial than probative? <laughs> Somewhere down there is character evidence. That's 404. Look look at that. Um, I knew which order they were in, apparently. You did. That's really good. Um, And honestly, we could do a whole nother one. And maybe we do a whole nother one on the character evidence. I, that's probably my favorite Mm -hmm. and because it's 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 very complicated and it changes a lot from civil to criminal and who brings up what first i love the character evidence and it's it's more applicable to everybody yeah um so it's not just like a law student question oh no 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 because this is one where you can go back to what we did at the beginning you can hit the oj trial right and the rodney king trial this this evidence rule applies to so much and so many interesting cases and it has everyone's favorite phrase they opened the door yeah you see that in law and order every other episode of law and order is like oh we can talk about it they opened the door for that opened the door (laughs) opened the door but that a lot of the time has to do with character evidence yeah um it does. So that's, I think, that my might be favorite. a follow up. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we do a follow up on that. So maybe check the next episode because yeah. that one has a lot of fun real world oh, for applications. Absolutely. Some are really funny and some are just really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think so. so for those of you who are listening, truly check us out another time. Maybe we do this for the second I one. I think we do. The next one, part two, is character evidence, even though it sounds kind of dull because it's called character evidence is actually really quite entertaining, um, oh, even yeah. for the regular person. Oh, for sure. To me, that's like that part of the evidence rules are the like funniest, most interesting, strange, like where the line is drawn oh, on so many things strange. But maybe to wrap up this one, the probative yeah, so versus the probative, Okay, so back to the scales. You're <laughs> right. <room. laughs> I, I'm on the tangents today. I'm on so many tangents. Um, but I like it. Virginia has the best stories. And every time I'm like, tell your stories, tell your stories. <laughs> Some of them are fun. I love being an attorney. And yeah. after 17 years, you realize, wow, there's really a lot that's happened in my yeah. 17 years. And and there's there's a lot. But so back to the scales of justice. So rule 403 says you can't introduce something into evidence mm-hmm. if it's more prejudicial than it is probative. And probative is basically like, um, does it go towards proof one way or the other? Um, right. Does it help to prove an issue in the trial so is it probative does it go to prove an issue well then usually if it goes to prove an issue then it should be allowed right but if it's so prejudicial that it just negates anything that might have helped go to one or the other where it's like oh my gosh because i heard that i'm gonna cut out all the other evidence that i've heard and only focus on that actually have a really good example oh give me yours this is one of the wildest things I ever saw in true crime. So there was this woman, she was an author. Um, and then she was on trial for her husband's murder. Oh, I've heard you of this. this. Everyone has heard of this. So, and I do remember how the judge ruled, which is the only reason okay. I bring it up. So I think it was less than 10, more than five years before her husband's murder. She had written a satirical blog piece I'm kind of poking fun at marriage and poking fun at true crime about like 10 reasons or 10 ways I would kill my husband. But it was a very satirical, it went kind Mm -hmm. of viral, um, very satirical piece, poking fun, like I said, at marriage and true crime. Well, then all these years later, she's on trial for her husband's murder. Um, And my personal opinion is 
she did it. Um, she <laughs> right. I mean, that's the natural reaction. She was convicted too. She okay. was convicted, but so she was found guilty. She was found guilty. And she did it. She <laughs> did it. However, the judge ruled that that piece of evidence about her writing that satirical piece all those years before could not come into the trial and because people it was more prejudicial exactly and people on the internet were in an outrage over it but truly if she wrote something you know five six seven years ago it doesn't have a lot of probative value on the case at hand well it does have probative value because it could go toward premeditation yeah. premeditation of you know has she been thinking about it all of this time uh, maybe she was, and maybe all this, you know, after all this time, she finally got to put it into action. Right. So that's a good point. There is some relevance, some mm-hmm. probative value, but the prejudicial value, if, and if you're on a yes. jury and you hear that, are you listening to anything else? You're like, nope, she said she was going to do it and she did. Great. Well, we're not on the jury and that's what we're thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? That's why everybody's up in arms about yes. it is because when they hear about this, the first reaction of everybody is, well, she had to have done it. Right. She wrote a book about it. Right. She had to have done it. And that's why is because there's that immediate prejudice of, well, absolutely. If she wrote a book, she had to have done it. I am prejudiced against the defendant because I am making a huge assumption based on this other. Now it may be a fair one, but it's so inflammatory. Uh, Yeah. I think that's the good, right? It's so alarming. It's so inflammatory that it's hard to think of anything else in an impartial way in an impartial way and that's that scale of justice is did did it make things so impartial that there's no way to tip the scales back toward a fairness right and i mean there are there's the well i saw him holding the murder weapon well that's alarming and that's shocking and that's certainly huge evidence that would make me be prejudiced against the defendant but right. is it fair evidence? Right. Right. You saw him hold the is murder it weapon. Sort of the prejudicial and probative are about even, so it can mm-hmm. come in. But when it's so out of whack, I think yeah. is the way where, like, like I said, that okay, I saw him, but that's very probative and you know, and, and prejudicial. That's when the that's when the young attorneys step up and say it hurts my client's case. <laughs> yeah, it does, but not unfairly. <laughs> Right, because that's the whole idea. And that he that's so funny you say that. My professor on Wednesday actually said, well, every piece of evidence is going to be prejudicial. <laughs> that's kind of the point. And you're like, well, you're right. It hurts one of the people's cases. <laughs> one party's case is going to be hurt by that particular piece of evidence. Yes. But is it unfairly Objection, hurt? your honor, please. <laughs> please. Don't let it in. <laughs> If you do that, my client will be found guilty. <laughs> yes, yes, you will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but not unfairly. Not exactly. Not unfairly. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's the basics. Yeah. Um, so if you ever needed to know like all of the rules of evidence in yes. one hour, um I mean you got the vibes, right? You could do it. <laughs> Like practice oh all my vibes. I, I will always do this podcast just because Chelsea is here. Nobody else will ever listen to the rest of these podcasts. It's going to be a one viewer podcast, but I don't care because Chelsea I, entertains me. Look, I think we entertain each other, but I we think, do. But I hope it was informative because I think we yeah. kind of hit the highlights of you know anything from like you said a, a 
traffic case, you know, a speeding ticket to yeah. a car accident that a lot of people might interact with. Mm-hmm. Oh, these, that's so these, common. These rules of evidence go from everything from these homicide cases to mm-hmm. these small little cases. I yeah. mean, you could theoretically with a speeding ticket, you know, in a criminal trial, stomp your foot and say, prove it. And pull out, pull out the speed gun. When was last time it was serviced? You can do that as a defendant. Do. You have the right to do that. And you should in many Get of these cases. Get the police officer. Oh, he didn't show up. He didn't show up to be the Why evidence. Why would I admit something he didn't show up to prove? Right. You're sort of holding the state to their burden. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And in that, like I said, the rules of evidence apply anything from these huge homicide cases to a speeding ticket. Yeah. They apply to everything. That's why yeah. they're there. They're in the play they're in court. That's what you can and can't yeah. say or do or admit in court. Yeah. Um, so that's some of the, some of the little, little pieces here yes. and there as to why things might be in. I do think we're going to do the extra. We have to do the character evidence. Fun. It is the fun stuff about it. You know, um, I'm accused of murder. Why can't I just have everyone come say I'm so nice and would never murder anybody? <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Everybody should say I wouldn't do that. I have never been violent. Everyone would come and say that. So I should get off. Right. Absolutely. I agree. Look at that. I'm innocent. <laughs> so yeah, so if you enjoyed this this podcast, um, either on audio through Spotify, Google Pod, Podbean, Apple, um, Apple oh, pretty yeah. much everywhere, I think that you can find it. And then on YouTube, we're doing the video portion so you can see us, see the dog, see the blankets, yes. um, watch the reactions. Um, like us, like us, subscribe, yes. rate us, like, give a follow, comment, subscribe, let us know if you have questions mm-hmm. or you have any other topics or you're just going to be at my whim <laughs> right now. We're out of her whim. Look, and I have lots of ideas. So, but I would love to include some, some feedback. If you guys have questions or other yeah. things you want us to look into also let catch us, us on Fridays for our happy hour. Absolutely. Friday's happy hour. Yes. Every 4 PM, we release the legal weekly wine, which mm-hmm. talks about the hottest legal yes. topics of the week. Um, last yeah. week we hit um, the Elon Musk trial. Yes, and the Virginia school shooting by the six-year-old. Yes. Um. So we. This is more just general informative. Oh, um. No, no, no. But, the sh- Virginia shooting was the week before. We also. Oh, did that's the, right. We did the undercover. Um, oh, you're right. There was a civil suit for a, a confidential inform or not. You're right. Confidential, confidential informant. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so that was last week. But we cover sort of week to week whatever is trending in the, in, the, in the news um, and give a legal take on it. So join us, you know, every Tuesday here on The Law Unscripted mm-hmm. or every Friday for our Legal Weekly Wine. Yes. Join us. Um, like and subscribe if you like us. That way more people can see us. More people can get the information. And we'd love for some more law students to uh, pick it up and join us. Because that, these are the classes that they're taking this yes. semester. Especially evidence is a huge one. Absolutely. Um, but that that will be it. That is the Law Unscripted. And I'm Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. And we're with Tarani Law because you never need a lawyer. Till you do.